Welcome to DevSecOps. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, surviving cloud incidents. Is that correct, guys? Yes. Yeah, well, that was yeah. the plan, at least. <laughs> good, then I'm at the right place. That's good, that's good. But first, how are you? Everything is fine these days? Everything is fine. There is uh, yeah. no sun for more than 30 days in Sweden. So yeah, there's that. Yeah, and same. Yeah, there yeah. was a big outage in North Northern Virginia, US East one. Yeah, yeah. so we're going to start with this. I also say that it's, it's a little bit of rain in Canary Islands. It's an, and usually a lot of rain. Yeah, for but December. But you still have some sun? You seen the sun? Yeah, the yeah. Well, when it's not raining, it's kind of time to time sunny. It was a little bit grayish, I would say, a couple of weeks. So like a, a Stockholm weather, if you like. I call it a Stockholm weather. But oh, we, do, we, do, we do see the sun, so... Yeah. <laughs> you just need to get out, you know, stop working and get out to do that. And I'm not very work, successful yeah. in this. So. Yeah, it doesn't work in Stockholm. Even if you get out, there is no sun. There's no sun. All right, but yeah. let's stop complaining and get to the podcast topic. Yeah, to the point. So what happened, Andre? You, you want to roll through what happened with AWS? Yeah, sure. So on November 25th, 2020, Kinesis cut down for quite some time. And Kinesis is a streaming service from AWS. And uh, my hypothesis is at the time was that they were preparing for the event, which was supposed to be started next week and like rolling some new features out. But it turns out to be not the case. And uh, we will not go very deep into the postmortem, which is available. It's a, it's a big write-up from AWS, which I do recommend to reading if yeah, you are so interested good. in a big systems failing. And uh, First of all, we should say that, you know, there is no blame game in here. And uh, I mean, things are failing. And especially like when you operate a big complex system, there is a very good probability of things failing. It should be very stressful to be engineer on call during those events. Science, uh, you, there is a lot of pressure on you to get system up and running since you're affecting half of the world. Yeah. Who is this? And uh, well, maybe not half of the world runs in US East one, but a good majority. Well, I think a good good chunk of AWS clients is have some real estate in US East one because it's like a primary region where they first roll out all the features. Yeah. And uh, what basically happened is they added additional. Uh, additional capacity in there and that additional capacity was misconfigured well it wasn't configured right well it it had a linux limit yeah which was like a default and that caused a uh, rippling effect through the other services since kinesis is uh, widely used within uh, amazon the first kinesis went down and then it affected CloudWatch, and that it started to propagate to GCS and AKS, which uh, was quite unfortunate. Not quite a number of yeah. jokes that AWS turned off 
Um, oh yeah, there was also Cognita affected. So that wasn't nice. And there were quite a, quite a number of jokes on the internet saying that AWS turned off CloudWatch so you cannot prove that there was an outage and you cannot use them because of the broken SLA. That's kind of a, a funny thingy. But actually it was uh, CloudWatch using uh, Kinesis data streams. It wasn't available. And uh, this is how it went down. And they, they thought it was a memory pressure at the beginning. But as it turns out, it was the number of thread that was limited yeah. by the operating system. And yeah, exactly. I, I think the lesson here is very much that the small details of the operating system can actually crush the, the bigger system. So it, it's yeah. a, the many into one and the one into many uh, kind of things. And I've been in a similar incident myself a few years ago where autoscaler of the backend uh, kicked in and the number of connection to the database got uh, limited, mm. like the number of ports in the yeah. machine connected to the database was limited to 55,000 something. And we reached that and mm. yep. <laughs> you, yeah. you get those kind of, uh, that's how you learn the number of maximum ports on your database. Yeah. I have also like the sockets and the number of files on the Linux. So all those default, but you, you cannot foresee it always. And you should uh, give a tip on the head to the AWS engineers who managed to figure it out in like three, four hours, according yeah. to postmortem. So it's, it's a it's a hard thing to find actually. Yeah. And uh, then they gra gradually came back, brought up all the services back, but again, not rushing it, making sure that they're doing it incrementally to avoid you know congestions where like being hit with everything that got accumulated locally in other <laughs> services because like for instance cloudwatch if it cannot send out the metrics it starts to accumulate them which is a good design actually so they have a local storage but that local storage also run out and that got uh, some customers affected since uh, after scaling didn't work and uh creation of new eks clusters didn't really work and for instance, I know that uh, you couldn't start ECS containers. That was like an issue a little bit of on, on the Fargate. Yeah. So, yeah, quite unfortunate. And probably will happen again with any cloud provider. Like we just saw Google blinking for an hour yesterday, like all of Google. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm looking yeah. forward to reading the postmortem of that one. Yeah. Also big, but but a question here: Was it like the whole region that was out, or was it only one AC? Oh, it was a region. It was one service within one region, and uh, AWS has a strict separation between regions, which yeah. is good in those cases. Like in some cases, like for instance in GCP, they have like a global infrastructure, which is good in other cases. Yeah. And uh, here, like for minim minimizing the blast radius, that was actually a good thing that they have a regional infrastructure. Because like if you want to do a cross-regional deployments, it's a little bit of pain in the back with AWS, and you have to you have to think it through. In Google, it's easier, but 
if uh, something similar to Kinesis, like for instance, pops up in Google Cloud, would go down, it might go down for everyone. Um, yeah, it might be quite, quite bad. Yeah, but uh, isn't US East one one of the first uh, AWS region? They might yeah. have like uh, older services that they have to maintain or something like that? It's it's one of the biggest. So it was one of the first, I think it's like a yeah it's one of the first and this is one of the places where they roll out all the new features yeah so and things happening there but not so often i mean like once in a two or three years we had like the previous one the big one was s3 outage like a couple of years ago but um all in all it's pretty stable comparing to your data center <laughs> that's stable as rock <laughs> you know <laughs> definitely and uh, congratulations to all the people who restored the services in in a record time i would say because that must not have been easy i mean that's a complex system and you have like a lot of red herring going on so you need to really go down and understand what what is causing it yeah. without so breaking more things yeah <laughs> that brings the question like how how should we plan for this yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So it's going to happen. And uh, yeah, you could say anything you like, but it's going to happen. And we can, as practitioners, we cannot make AWS better, but still doesn't mean that we have to stop using service. We just have to change our assumptions, right? Did it even affect you guys, any of your customers, no, your work? No. No, we I'm really regular only in, in Sweden actually. So no, no, no. All right. I'm not in AWS. Professionally, I haven't <laughs> been affected, but I use some services that are actually uh, hosted there. So personally, I was affected, but not professionally. So how 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 did it affect you? What did you do? Uh, basically, I, I use LastPass as a mm -hmm. password manager, and uh, yeah, that, that's where they store. Uh, they had a, they, I could not log in basically, so no mm. password, no access, which brings uh, make me thought about what happened. If I think they they were using Cognito, most probably, maybe. I have no idea. I, I honestly, I don't want to look into that. Otherwise, I'm gonna get. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to move away from that services. Yeah, I always recommend one password. It's most expensive, <laughs> but it does work. So anyhow, uh, yeah. yeah, we had a couple of customers being hit with that. And, uh, yeah, ECS, we mostly saw that on ECS. And uh, there were also some of the customers using Kinesis directly. So they, they were struggling with that. Yeah. And uh, we had a conversation what, what could be done after that, right? As a practitioner, what could we do? And um, there were conversation about like going multi-regional, there were conversation about like, for instance, doing something similar to what CloudWatch is doing, is uh, storing stuff locally, basically caching stuff that you cannot send to Kinesis, waiting for Kinesis to get back and then send it to Kinesis, yeah. for instance. 
and uh, maybe having uh, some database and stored state and blah blah blah. But uh, on a general level, what the discussion boiled down is we got to do cows engineering. Yeah. And how do you say that? We had a little bit of conversation. So yeah. there were there were a one op version of saying that as a cow, like a cows, like a many cows, you know, an animal that gives a milk. And but Google tells us that you're supposed to say that chaos, like operating system, like chaos. So this we stick with the chaos. Yeah, isn't the monkey involved in this, right? Chaos monkey, like is no, it was a, it was a, it was a Netflix thing, like one of the yeah, first okay. presentation about uh, institutionalizing chaos yeah. engineering was uh, Netflix telling stories about the chaos monkey that would go around and kill AWS uh, instances, GC2 instances, and see how the system behave. And actually, they were quite good with that. They were like a big EC2 thingy back in 2011-2012 where Amazon had to do emergency patching and they had to take like bunch of the EC2s offline to patch them. And it yeah. affected a lot of people, but not Netflix. Netflix were like operating just fine. And uh, that thanks to them actually testing their system all the time and planning for those things to happen. And uh, before you could start with chaos engineering, I would say there are other things you could do. For instance, doing mutable infrastructure as code. I just yeah. um, I just gave a, a conference talk uh, on a conference in Russia, talking about uh, doing immutable infrastructure as code and like putting emphasis on immutable because that gives puts you in a really good position to withstand failures of the virtual machines instead of failures of the container because you basically create everything from the templates, you recreate those templates all the time. So degradation of the underlying hardware under your virtual machine uh, doesn't care. You can run on a spot or preemptive instances in the Google Cloud. It's opened up a lot of doors for you, but it doesn't help to solve the problem of dependency on of the third-party services you consume. It doesn't help you to deal with the network issues like latencies, packet losses. It doesn't help you to deal with the resource starvation like CPU. You run out of the CPU credits. You're running on T3 instances. You run out of the instance credit, CPU credits. And now your world looks very different. Everything like super slow. <laughs> Basically, everything stops when you run out of the credits. So, like those things, it doesn't help. And I think this is where the chaos engineering might help for you. What What are you guys doing about that? Are you Are you practicing that? Anything you're doing regarding the chaos engineering? Yeah, sure. It's uh, It's a very good uh, reliever to know how long it's going to take if things blow up. So, you know, bootstrapping your infrastructure, redeploying all the services, mm. it's, it's just knowing that you're going to have, like that's, that's going to be the maximum amount of time you, you will be down. And mm. that's kind of a reliever. Now it doesn't really help for the day-to-day -day 
life when you have to make changes to your infrastructure. But the, the practice in itself requires um, actually a pretty good monitoring. Because if you don't have a good monitoring, it's, it's flying blind. And I, I see a lot of people uh, doing chaos engineering and then they say, well, it crashed and we knew it was going to crash. But the idea of chaos engineering is more like um, you have to establish an hypothesis. And the example I use is, for instance, because m many people hear, hear that uh, Kubernetes is very good for that. And I ask, OK, so when you scale a pod from, let's say, three, three uh, or a replica set from three pods to four, it, it adds a new port. But then when you scale down, which pod does it kill? Yeah. And so you, you want to know that, especially if you are um, using a cache, because that will impact the performance. Uh, and so that, that's the kind of question that can be answered by doing chaos engineering, saying like, OK, what happened when we scale up? What happened when we scale down? And the reverse is also uh, not the reverse, but going lower into the infrastructure. For instance, if you add a node, what happened? If you scale down a node, what happened? And the funny thing is that on, on GKE, so the Google Cloud Managed Kubernetes Service, if you scale a pod, it will kill the latest one. But if you scale up a node and scale down, it will, it, no, sorry. The pod, it kills the oldest one. The node, yeah. it kills the latest one. And oh. so th th those kind of things, you, you like, I didn't know. It's not in the documentation. It's not oh. written anywhere. And, and those kind of tests are like, you don't have the question yet. And they, those uh, experiment, because it's called a chaos experiment, bring new information that you can act upon. And, and from there, other hypotheses can be made. One, I think the one big confusion there is that people think there is a big focus on breaking things, yeah. but that's not what you're about. You're about a learning about resiliency of your system, right? And if you know that thing is going to break and you go and break it, you haven't learned anything new. I mean, it's just broke and <laughs> you're at the same place. But what you want to do is you want to run those experiments maybe in dev stage and know that your system is ready and then you validate that experiment in production. And the goal is that it doesn't break, that you succeed, say like, yeah, I, I designed the experiment and now I verified my hypothesis that it's not going to break in production. This is working this way I expect. And so there are actually tools to automate all of that and make it more usable because, you know, like if you do it by hand, it's kind of complicated, but like manual testing by specification, right? But, but and, how, how do you start this? I mean, what's the first task? Say that uh, we don't practice this uh, a lot of my company, but we should probably start, right? And of course we can scale, we scale nodes as well, we scale pods. Actually in AWS, you can set on the node which one to kill, like if the latest or the oldest when it's scaled. But is that the first thing you should start looking at? Like, pod scaling and, and node scaling to make I got, sure I, that... I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing the chaos engineering for more than 15 years myself. Yeah. 
I started to do it even before it was a thing. And I tell you why and how I started. So the favorite thing for me to do is to delete stuff. And we talk about that. So I basically a chaos monkey, if you like. And uh, every time like there is some service that needs to be sunset, that I am the first in line to sunset it. <laughs> and make sure like everything is deleted. There are like no leftovers. I have like a, a gimmick about that. And um, I worked uh, in a bigger companies, like one of them being Ericsson. And a big project that we did there was migration from ClearCase to Git. And like, don't call me. I'm not taking you from ClearCase. If, if it's into 2020, you are in ClearCase. I'm not taking you to Git. Don't call me <laughs> about that. It's over. So, and uh, it was like 10 years ago, pretty much. And uh, they had like 10 years of legacy in there and more than like thousands of developers working, a lot of toolings written around ClearCase. And no one knew what is being used and what's not. Yeah. So we would do a, a hypothesis, say like, we think yeah. the thing is not used. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to drop it. Well, like in ClearCase, you can make it like uh, invisible for the rest. It's still there, but yeah. you make it invisible for the rest. And then we wait for the two months for someone to come screaming at us. Yeah. Say like that thing I use it. It's, it's like very really useful. Blah blah blah. blah. So like, if someone came, doesn't came in two, in two months, we said all right. So our hypothesis was correct. It's not used. Not used. It's just laying dormant there. So we succeeded. And besides, uh, we just didn't have any other way of finding it out. And like in any legacy system, this is how it is, right? Yeah. You have no idea how it behaves. You have no idea why things are there and why they done this way. But, uh, and usually when you do any type of transformation or change, there is a good saying that before removing any fence post, you want to know why it's there in the first place, right? Because there was a reason why it was placed there. Maybe that reason is not the case any longer and it's obsolete, so you can remove it, but maybe not. Maybe there are some wolves coming every night. Exactly from that direction, and you want to have a fence post in here. So, yeah, so deleting stuff is kind of doing chaos engineering in a less responsible way, if you like, because like you don't really have any other tools to, to do that. So that's the first thing, then. You have your things running, and you start deleting different holds. Yeah, that's that's the easiest. Yeah, that's yeah. the easiest you can do, like uh, deleting ports, deleting virtual machines. Hopefully, not deleting the virtual machine that has some state on it. Yeah, that that like start with something that's uh, stateless. And uh, there are tools actually that you could be using. There are libraries that you could use for fault injection to emulate uh, network latency. There are commercial offerings. And if you Google chaos engineering, there will be a commercial offering that just will that's called Kremlin. And I mean, they do quite aggressive marketing. It's like, it's basically everywhere. And I think there seems to be like the biggest, like behind all the noise they make, I cannot see anything else. So they're quite good on uh, saturating the uh, search results. And, uh, but, uh, I would say they're quite expensive. So I checked the pricing. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> there is a free tier, but yeah, it could get you started with doing some simple experiments. But 
it's some some good money to do anything basically. Yeah. I would How do you see like the the, the middle ground here? Because I mean, I kill a pod is is down. Uh, things are hopefully working, but may, maybe not. But they're also like services when I have application and uh, the cache is gone, so I can't connect with the cache. Uh, then my um, how do you work with liveness and healthiness probe? Does the application say like, okay, I'm not going to be able to um, work, do this work right now. We just hold on. How do you see like all those things, like retries, back pressure and liveness? There is a thing called Chaos, Chaos Toolkit, yeah. which is an open source tool. And uh, that seems to be like the most popular one. Uh, there are a lot of tools, I mean, like a lot. Uh, so like I was googling that and like digging what to do and how to do. And the chaos uh, toolkit seems to be like one of the most popular and like developed. And that uh, allows you to do a declarative type of chaos testing. Yeah. So you say like kill that via and then test this API, like probe this API, make sure it responds, stuff like that. And then it basically generates a PDF file. You run it, it records all the results and generates your report saying like, yeah, I did that, kill that machine. And you actually have like a documentation of the experiments you do. And that's like basically as any other type of testing, right? You can run it in stage, you can run it in dev, you can run it in prod and collect the test results. So that kind of approach I like because it's repeatable, it's automatable. They have a thing called Chaos Hub. So my understanding that I haven't looked into yet, but I'm gonna do. And my understanding is that they share sample things in there. And the uh, syntax they use very similar to Ansible. So like declarative thing uh, to basically using predefined functions and stuff like that. So it might be a good place to start if you have no idea. So like Googling for samples, right? Because people do that. And even AWS added chaos engineering into the well-architected framework this year. So even AWS themselves say like, you've got to do it because we're going to fail. You've got to do it. So you're a happy customer. It's, but regarding uh, liveness probe and health check, I think yeah. the, the, that brings the question, what do you call an error? Yeah. And that basically chaos engineering is not at all about the tooling. That's why it's so hard to, I would say, build a tool for chaos engineering because it's so embedded into your practice and how, what do you consider healthy? And yeah. it is, you know, no tool is going to tell you what are the, your dependencies. Like, do you require a bucket? Do you require a bucket? Do you require a database? Uh, do you require some uh, more CPU or RAM? And, and those things are not at all um, easily embeddable in code, but more into the practice. Like, how do you know yeah. it's wrong? And, and that's really, uh, it, it's so confusing because the term error is, is uh, brought up quite often. For instance, if the, a web server returns uh, 400 code, it's an yeah. error for the client, but not for the server. So yeah. if you see those errors in the logs, you don't need to investigate. 
But if you see like a 500 error, maybe you need to dig it a little bit deeper and find exactly, out yeah. why it's happening. And so those liveness probe and health check are really, really important to get right. And yeah. that's not very much a tool. It's how you build your application. Uh, we, we have those kind of, oh, sorry. Just say something yeah. very quickly on this. Um, we had this conversation with developers and this is a big question, like when you return 500, right? Yeah. When you return 200, it sounds easy, but like if your database is out, but you can still do something, how do you fail? So like those, you know, it's not always clear and it's a big question. And everyone have to decide for themselves, how, how do they handle failures? And when they stop operating, when they don't, so like basically SLA, how do you handle your business load, right? And that's why you can come into uh, having an error budget. Like how, how from how much, how wrong can we be? You know, how much, how many mistakes can we do? And if your error budget is actually you still have some left, there you can do chaos engineering and breaks and be able to break stuff by still maintaining your SLA. And that's mm -hmm. the the SRE practice. I mean, there is a book about it. Um, actually, more than one, but. It's uh, very much in, embedded into how you design your system. And you, you want to see a, a good example, just look at the error message that you get. I mean, yeah. if someone actually actively wrote that message and you cannot understand what the hell is going on, you know that it's actually a good practice to see, okay, maybe we should do an, an exper a chaos experiment for that to see what kind of error message should we return how can we recover from that? What kind of service can, like the minimum amount of service that we can afford to our customer and, and those yeah. kind of things. And so it's a very much a resiliency approach. Like how, what is the minimum amount of uh, value can we deliver at any given time? And that's monitoring. You, you, like there is no way around it. The same way Kubernetes requires a CI, to build your code and your container, uh, chaos engineering require monitoring. Without, without a good monitoring, it's it's uh, really shooting yourself in the foot to start chaos engineering without. Uh, but it doesn't require a CI. Like, I had to build the containers manually during the incident and push them to, <laughs> to Kubernetes. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's uh, <laughs> I know. I, I've seen yeah. that. I don't like it. I feel it's very what? error prone. But maybe I missed a little bit. Uh, when you do chaos, you only want the application to return 200, right? You don't want it to, to fail. It should always be up and running, right, when you do chaos. It depends but, what your hypothesis is. Yeah, if, yeah. Because uh, it depends on what you, you assume. Like if you say, for instance, you have like three VMs uh, in each zone with a database yeah. on it. And you realize that actually having that kind of um, resiliency, it's costly because the database talk to each other all the time. So the network traffic becomes a bit pricey and usually it becomes even more expensive than the VM. Uh, so maybe you can just assume that, okay, it's, it's okay to stay in one zone and you, you accept the risk. It's all about risk management. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Okay, I think we're coming up to our 30 minutes here. Do you have any last words, right? How, uh, what should you start with 
Uh, why should you start with chaos and what's your first action? Talk to developers. Talk to developers. Well, yeah, I would say focus don't, on don't, don't, don't surprise them. Get everyone on board and, you know, book the time. And yeah. Try it. So um, start rolling from there. So pick the area that you can want to yeah. focus on, discuss your assumptions. When you know your assumptions, so it's just like you tell the developers, like, I'm going to do this. And they're like, nah, that's not going to fail. So that's your assumption, and you start to test yeah. it. Yeah. And then you build a hypothesis, right, <laughs> on top of that. And then you're trying to prove them what just proves them. So this is how we do. Start with, the, like, questioning your developers. They're going to tell that they're writing the best code, and it's not going to fail. You record all of that, and that's your base, base set of the hypothesis that yeah. you can start testing. Yeah, and then you start deleting, yeah. Test <laughs> your assumption. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So collect assumptions, start testing them. So like, don't try to come up with anything. Just uh, ask people for assumptions. Like saying, I'm going to do this. What's going to happen with the application? And like, it's going to be this. Like, All right, you, you record that. And then you might use some tool or you might start doing it manually. I don't think the yeah. tool is uh, mandatory here. Yeah. It's just uh, that you document the learning and then you act on that learning, right? So like one thing is you discover it, but another thing is you act on it. Because even if you know, but you haven't done anything about that, there is no value in that, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And I think with those wise words, I think we're going to end this talk, right? Yes. Yeah. So we'll say... Thank you for listening and check out our webpage at devsecop.fm for notes and uh, other links, right? All right. All right. Okay. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. See you soon. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias, Andre, and Julian. For more podcast and notes go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.